0: Welcome everybody, my name's James Cook and welcome to AZ Community Roundtable. This is episode three and with me today is Jake and Olivia. I will pass on to Jake to introduce himself and then we'll move on to Olivia afterwards. So I'll, I'll hand you over to Jake.
1: Yeah, thanks James, uh, really nice to um, to be on uh, on with you. Um, my name's Jake Walsh, um, I'm a consultant. I work predominantly in the Microsoft Azure, IaaS, PaaS, um, sort of infrastructure as code space. Um, based in the UK, um, predominantly working with kind of mid-size, um, mid-size companies. Um, I work for a company called CDW, um, and yeah, look, just looking forward to uh, to this, having a chat and uh, talking about uh, lots of different things. Brilliant, Olivia.
2: Yes, uh, so my name is uh, Olivier. I'm based in Amsterdam, but uh, I'm uh, from Paris, I work currently for Tum-tum, uh, for the infrastructure service, and I work at, in the hosting industry and also as a consultant for uh, a big and small company around the, uh, Europe and even in the uh, US. Brilliant, thank you, both of you. So.
0: Um... From the introductions, and if you've recently seen my posts, I post a lot on infrastructure as code. As you can, uh, as you heard from Jake and Olivia, they do a lot with regards to DevOps and infrastructure as code. Um, so actually, we had a little bit of a um, cross-topic conversation. Um, so we are going to focus today's podcast on infrastructures code so what i'll do is i'll bring up the first topic and you may just slide off you into other people's topics um and overlap into there so we'll just take it from there so my first topic i'm bringing to the table is um testing infrastructures code so i've been over the last few months doing a lot with GoLang, uh using go language to write my um testing um of uh deployments so i prominently do terraform and what i've been using go language is to run the builds in a test environment from there i then run some prerequisites uh, to check that the resource is created if built as per the configurations i specify check some ports and then think if it's anything networking wise i mean i destroy it afterwards and then output a um report in some way or form um, so I, uh, my question to you guys is uh, what, um, actually it'd be like what infrastructure as code um, tool do you use to write your um, to deploy your resources in Azure and what type of testing do you do if you do any
1: um, so for me um, uh, most of the work I do is, is based um, on Terraform Um, I, I kind of, I have to confess, I'm, I'm quite new to the world of infrastructure as code. I, I sort of used arm templates in the past and PowerShell, but sort of getting comfortable with Terraform was the sort of first time I ever thought, wow, I could see myself really getting into this. And I, I have kind of taken to it. It's been, it's been really good actually sort of over the last 18 months, I've really, um, taken to it and started using it a lot more, um. I guess traditionally for me, most of the deployments um, that were done sort of where there was a need for testing and you know, sort of trialing things beforehand were done in Azure DevOps, but more recently been using GitHub Actions. Very simplistic for me though, uh, I think compared to what, what you said, it's, um, you know, for me it would be perhaps having an action that deploys into production and another that deploys into test. Um, a lot of what I do um, for my role is, is testing things prior to a customer deployment and it's not always um you know like a CI/CD approach it might be let's test this because we need to fulfill you know these business requirements with this solution um and in some cases that's not um you know then going to be taken into a sort of continuous um, integration continuous development environment it might just be a one-off deployment or something so i do tend to vary my approach but yeah for me it's it's terraform and, and github actions now predominantly
2: Okay, for me, it's a bunch of uh, Terraform because it's mandatory in the company I work. But I use also ARM templates and uh, Bicep. A lot of Bicep because it's um, the new tools for uh, uh, infrastructure deployment that is given by Microsoft. Uh, In for testing, uh, I used it not so long ago to use it uh Chef and um, test kitchen, which uh, allow you to deploy a solution end to end and test the entire uh, environment. But now I use uh, mostly a test subscription, and I have some uh, Pester tests that help me to create um, uh, a testing solution that I can uh, check in Azure DevOps because Pester is a PowerShell. Uh, unit testing tools, testers can generate you um, um, test unit uh, format that you can display in Azure DevOps pipeline after the pipeline execution.
0: That's interesting. So, both you prob- Sounds like both of you do exactly the same thing. The same that I was doing initially. So initially, like you say, yeah, um, having multiple maybe subscriptions or multiple locations in a subscription, yeah, for uh, resources to deploy initially just to test. And again, both of you are using Terraform, so it does make um, sense. And this is what I've been doing. What the, the idea of my testing was about... Yeah, that. Um, rather than just deploying the resources, the, the questions I've had from uh, colleagues and I've had read articles where deploying as code is fine when and when the deployment is completed, you're relying on Terraform to basically output that everything's correct and you manually check in. And the idea of using something like Go language to test, the resources have actually created, other than relying on just Terraform and also created based on your configuration and working as expected, that was the language to use. Um, I think that's because Terraform also is built on Go from from my understanding. So it uses Go language itself. So yeah, that's well. What, what, what I've been doing the last couple of months is literally building test modules using Go language that basically runs the build via Terraform. And then there's just some Go uh, Go code to just basically just check that that resource is created. Is it created with the correct naming convention? Is it running as expected? If it's, if it's like a static website, is it is it open on the correct port? Yeah, is the network security group, you got the right um, uh, rules in place yeah, as part of that deployment and then after that it just destroys it um, and it goes off into our separate development subscription um, but the idea would be that while then it staying up and running uh, it's actually just going to go off, build it and destroy it once it confirms that everything works as expected so yeah it's quite interesting that you guys are basically Well, I was a few months ago. I was still still doing that because it's a lot of work in regards to actually coding these test files. You think how long it takes you just to uh, write the config files to deploy into Azure and put it into each environment to test, but then actually writing test files afterwards, it's um, it's a big overhead.
1: I think you you make a, a really good point there, though, about... And kind of a, you know, this this sort of automated testing would have been very, very challenging if, for example, let's say you were writing a deployment into a, an on-premises environment and that was, you know, you were going to then try and deploy that for 10 different customers or 10 different use cases. You would, in theory, there have 10 different environments you were going to try and deploy and test again. And this is kind of one of the, the things that's really changed with, public cloud is you you now have a platform that is fairly universal in the sense that the platform for you know customer a and deployment a is the same as the platform for customer b so all of that testing and all of that sort of effort you put in okay it's still effort and time but it's it's a it's you know provides you with something you can reuse you can do multiple deployments on you know you can spin it up test it destroy it you know, you can, you can spin an environment up and attempt to break it. You can do all sorts of extra things. Um, that's something I've been testing out recently, actually, using some of the um, the scanning tools in, in GitHub Actions to actually scan the code pre, post, during deployment, whenever you want, really, for security vulnerabilities and those sorts of aspects. And it's, you know, that's kind of the the holy grail, isn't it? Prior to a deployment, if you could have somebody tell you, well, actually that, you know, there's a security problem there, or you should do this to make it more secure before the environment is even deployed. So all of that kind of automated testing is, is certainly bringing a lot of power um, you know, to this, this kind of area.
0: Yeah, yeah that is yeah. Sort of actually interesting.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, about testing uh, before deploying, uh, we have started to use uh, the what-if solution. Uh, what is missed uh, in ARM templates uh, when you look at Terraform is uh, what will be changed, what will be deployed, and what will be modified by the, your solution. And having uh, this option, which is a, a simple switch in your command, uh, lets you to see what happened, but it lets you see um, uh, exactly. Uh, if you make a mistake because it's very easy uh, in infrastructure as code to make mistakes and to end uh, with uh, a non-working solution for the customers. Uh, it's very, very easy. But I didn't know if there is a real scanning solution for Iron templates. Uh, I should test to see if there is one. Uh, I know that there is some some uh, um, some tools in the language to see, for example, if you have uh, a circuit or certificates uh, in the plain text in your templates, uh, which is uh, something you should not do. Uh, but I don't know if we have uh, such a solution. I think yes, but I should try to see if we have more data for that. It's a good point.
1: One of the um... One of the things that's really interesting just on that um, that sort of method of, of deployment, you know, the what, what if that you, you mentioned is um, I've done some deployments recently for a customer where I've sort of written the code and, and I've actually, you know, deployed the environment multiple times in my own test subscriptions prior to the customer deployment. So instead of, um, you know, for example, let's think back to a traditional IT estate where you might have turned up to see a customer with some boxes, you know, some disks and you would have sort of wrapped and stacked the kit, you would have built them you know, whatever the environment may be whereas now I'm actually able to build destroy, tweak their their environment multiple times so that when I actually go and do their deployment it, it's already been through all of the initial testing, anything I would need to um, you know, iron out in terms of issues and it's, it's making things quite interesting because it's sort of you're, you're actually able now to test an environment much more when it's in code because you can deploy it in your own in your own test environment. It's also really useful. I've, I've actually used the, the exact example you gave about, um, you know, what will be changed, what will be modified, what might be destroyed um, when I've been asked to go and fix an environment that's been built. So I've actually, you know, re-looked at the code that I used to initially deploy an environment and actually, you know, just rerun something like Terraform Plan, for example, and I can then get an idea of what's been changed. Um, so it's 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 really powerful. It's 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 for me. It's been really interesting. I actually now prefer to work in um, you know the command line, whether it be something like Terraform, whether it be um, the Azure CLI, than I do to to work in the portal. And I, I never thought <laughs> if you asked me that question a couple of years ago, uh, you know, it would, it would have been a different answer. And now, just just from the perspective of repeatability, I can test something in my own environment much more easily um you know and that that aspect of if i write something and i can you know let's take terraform as the example i can run plan you know i can can output um i can do a graph you know i could, could test it in my own environment it, it it gives that confidence and i think once you actually get confident with with using the sort of iac concepts and and whatever you know whatever tooling you choose to use you actually start to feel you know, you're much more empowered than you would be if you were sort of pointing and clicking in a, in a GUI or something like that.
2: And also, I'm testing the deployed environment because when you have the solutions in your pipeline, the solution is based on parameters, the variables for the customers. Or for example, if you deploy a landing zone, this parameter should be uh, IP prefix, uh, uh, name of resource groups, etc., etc., And sometimes you can make mistakes with parameters. Uh, you can, for example, uh, have the wrong IP address, uh, have uh, the wrong name, etc., etc. So I start to integrate my pipeline, a test, a pester uh, p- test, rather than PowerShell, to see if uh, what is deployed is what I wanted first, but what is deployed, work as expected to, to be more confident in our pipeline, to see that if there is a mistake in the parameters, uh, we know it uh, quickly. And so we will not say to the customer, okay, it's, uh, it should work, start working with your new environment and the customer comes back, oh, it doesn't work. No, we know that it doesn't work before Sending uh, the message to the customer, and it's great because it uh, it, it makes people more confident of using automation, and using pipelines, and using tools that we de- uh, that we create for uh, deploying solutions in Azure.
0: And that's an interesting point because we we've, we've, we've all been using the word automation, and I think, um, like you say, yeah, that. Um, I think the automation gets talked about quite a bit in regards to speeding up and less resources and how we've been using the word is actually been how we create um, um, scripts and the code and testing before um, it actually goes live. And that's, the, that's what we're building, that automated process to be able to turn around to a customer and be able to say that reliably that's going to work or it's going to, uh, whatever we're deploying, we know certain things is not going to work because we've done this already in the testing environment. And to me, where we've used the word automation, uh, uh, yeah, automation, that we've been able to actually not use it to define, oh, we're using less um, human resources, um, everything is going to go, Uh, it's just going to be reusable to that extent Um, actually we're saying that literally everything beforehand is ran over and over and over again by ourselves and we then put in that process that one last time live and it will work and we can run it like Jake said you can run a plan again against an environment six months time a year's time and actually see what's changed if someone's done something outside of that uh, IAC repo, for example. And that's actually another question I have for Jake. Uh, maybe, um, actually seeing that you will use infrastructure as code, and that's probably our all of ours preferred method to work in within the Azure. What would you? What's your view on other people doing stuff that's outside of infrastructure code that is playing around with resources that you configured in infrastructure code. So, for example, my policy to my colleagues is if I've deployed something by infrastructure code, I expect them not to touch anything in regards to configurations in a portal, and I expect them to do it via infrastructure code. So that when I do run a plan, I do not expect it to flag up any configuration changes. And if it does, then I would be looking back at the logs and seeing what has triggered it. Because usually when that happens, I would suspect that someone unauthorized could ac- has done it or something has changed without um, pre-approval. I don't know what you guys think about working both in portal and infrastructure as code on the same resources
1: i i think that's a really really interesting point actually because it's it's something um that comes up time and time again um and i always the explanation i always use is it's a bit like having a car with two steering wheels um you know two full sets of pedals um you know imagine this strange imaginary car and if you're driving down the road and you both get the wheel and both turn in different directions you're you're sort of you're fighting against each other and it's it's kind of like that i think it it's sort of when you go down you know the sort of route on a project for example where you agree that infrastructure as code is going to be the focus i think there has to be a sort of agreement on the team you know as as you said that this will be the tool set we'll use um i think it, it can be useful in some cases to point out You know, if you are working perhaps where you're deploying one application into a resource group that will be deployed using infrastructure as code and somebody else is deploying something into another resource group that's perhaps um, being deployed manually through the portal or they're using, um, you know, the Azure CLI or something, just to agree on what those boundaries are. So sort of say this is the tooling we're using and this is what we consider the boundaries and just let people know, you know, say, okay, if you you do realize if you go in and, and change this Virtual machine, or you make a change to this resource, you run the risk of that getting destroyed and recreated when, when we rerun our code. Um, and it, uh, I think, yeah, as long as you're clear with the facts, um, you know, it just makes make sure people are aware. The other thing you can do, of course, is you could have, for example, a number of um, people working on a, a pipeline or you know committing code to a, a repository, and you could actually have the deployment of that. So it's only possible through your pipeline and, and simply don't share any other details. So for example, if it was in um, Azure DevOps people could have access to the repo to commit their code um, but they wouldn't necessarily have access to the subscription. you know there would be a service principle in a, in a pipeline that's controlled through permissions and that would be how the deployment is done. That's a uh, you know a more extreme example. but if you if you don't want any changes done outside of your one piece of tooling that that might be an option for it.
2: Yes, and the problem uh, here is very interesting because uh, it it depends what you deploy. For example, if you are in an infrastructure services and where you need to deploy, for example, a network object, vnet or anything else like this, uh, the vnet itself uh, is on your responsibility, so it should not be modified. But the subnet, uh, customer will be free to create some subnet, to claim some energy, to create, uh, a leak. So, uh, you have to be really careful in the solution that when you really try your VNet, you doesn't touch anything else, uh, especially the subnet, uh, to avoid any catastrophe in their production. But I have another case where, um, we deployed an entire solution in a a new resource group each time. This solution was based on several VM, and there is also a solution of infrastructure, not infrastructure as code, but configuration as code in this VM that was deployed with a single ARM template. Uh, So here, we do not want that anything could be changed from, uh command line or from the portal, uh, we want to be sure that our uh, repository, to the GitHub repository, is the exact uh, mirror of what we had in Azure. And for that, there is a solution. You can lock your resources. Uh, so when you lock your resources, uh, it makes impossible to other customers to uh, change anything by the portal. And when you want to redeploy or make modification, you will need to remove this lock, which are, um, and for that, you will need to be uh, the owner of the resource group. So it can make you some protection, but it doesn't work uh, well with uh, VNet, for example, because people will not be able to change the VNet, or more with um, storage account. Uh, When you deploy your storage account, you want your customer to use it and to create containers. And uh, if you love the storage account, it can be a problem for that. But there is some solution, and it's very hard because sometimes uh, the objects you are deploying can be changed by the customers so they can use whatever they want. And sometimes you don't want the subject to be changed by anyone except by your pipeline, so you need to have solution. It can be a permission solution, or it can be a log solution.
0: Interesting, yeah. I fully agree with both of you on that. Um, I think it's a different perspective. Um, I think I've got the ability not to, because I work in a in a internal company uh, doing this type of stuff for uh, development, so, it's a bit different to customer facing and having to deal with um, how the customer wants their deployments done. Obviously, infrastructure is kind of, and mean, you've got some uh, customers that will go, I actually, I want to do something in the portal. Or you may have some customers uh, that want to do, like you say, use AZCLI uh, and do through there and run scripts, yeah, alongside what's been done via terraform uh, for example so yeah it's quite good points i think it's just one of those things you have to be quite flexible with depending on who you're working with so that um
1: that sort of flexibility and depending on on who you're working with is is something that, that i encounter quite a lot as well you know working with different organizations you know naturally organizations are at Different stages of their cloud journey. There, you know, some organisations have sort of, <clears throat> you know, gone gone into cloud. Others are, are in the the early stages, and you sometimes do have to vary, you know, how you're going to carry out deployment based based on that. Sometimes, you know, for example, in my job, the um, the deployment is is one piece of the work, but actually, some training is another piece. And, you know, it, I wouldn't be doing my job properly mm-hmm. if if, for example, I wanted to. Um go into it let's say I was going into an organization and I was going to um deploy some new virtual machines in Azure for them. Well, if I went straight in and came armed with my um terraform ready to go connected, logged in, did the deployment done, you know see you later that 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 would not be as good for a customer who was you know, perhaps in the early stages and wanting to understand the key concepts, all of that sort of initial foundational items as me actually sitting down with them and going through how to do something in the portal. So it's a really interesting balance. Um, and it's something where I, I certainly see all sides of the, um, you know, kind of uh, options. Um, and, and, and sometimes, you know, yeah, it, it, it's it's you're sort of thinking, well, I could do this in, in 10 lines of code. But actually what you're delivering there is more about, you know, and delivering an understanding and delivering training rather than it is just doing a deployment,
2: for example. Yes, it's uh, very true. Uh, inside organization, teams are not on the same level. Uh, if I remember the previous companies where I worked, for example, we had uh, someone in the United States that is that were really, really advanced that used Terraform, that used um serverless computing uh, Azure function was very really great and at the same time company uh, other teams in the company in Spain uh, just started the journey in, in Azure and they cannot do anything uh, if they can yeah if it was not in the portal for example so it's very really important to to be sure that you give your solution but also give them so. Sort of kind of training and some kind of uh, uh, understanding of what is Azure and how to use it. And sometimes uh, it's very hard because they will uh, mirror what they have on premise in Azure, which is generally not a good thing to do. And you have to be really careful about that. Brilliant.
0: Brilliant um because we've sidetracked quite a bit yeah, on each of those topics, but, um, and like I said, yeah, we're all talking about infrastructure's codes on this session. Um, is there anything specific yeah, that you want to bring to the table?
1: Um, I've got a – I suppose it's a feeling that's developed um, <laughs> over the last few months. But for me, I, I can't see um, – Infrastructure as code not being the future. I think, as we progress over you know the next sort of six months, twelve months, two years, whatever it might be, I think the vast majority of people working on large scale cloud projects, um, particularly people in in roles like um, myself, where I work with you know multiple different customers, for me, infrastructure as code is absolutely the future. Um, and I'd just be interested to hear you know, alternative views on that or if that's a, a common feeling in the uh, in the community?
0: Um, from my viewpoint, I think um, I can't really say that it's not because um, in a few weeks' time, I'll be moving into a development operations engineer role uh, full-time. So my role will be to prominently look at um, doing everything as infrastructure as code, and using continuous integration, continuous deployment. So um, it is one of those um, new, we know DevOps has been around for quite a few years, but still a lot of companies are still catching up with their um, practice of working. But infrastructure as code comes into it. And yeah, I can't see there being any change to how people, to see it like yourself I think it is the it, it's the future, but it's the future now uh, in regards to um, how people are, are gonna adopt it. Um, it. it's how is it is it just infrastructure though? So I've been doing a lot of research recently on using telephone to deploy Uh, Repositories and and setting up workflows and permissions and everything in GitHub. So that's I don't I wouldn't class that as like infrastructure, but it's actually um, setting up a a bit of um, software to act in the same way. And there's so many other things that Terraform can work with, like DNS providers and stuff like that. And you can say DNS is infrastructure. There's other things you can do with it, uh, Terraform, but it's how it's not just that one particular area in regards to like cloud um uh, infrastructure, it's also doing other things in regards to like CI C D. Um so um it's the way I I can see it being adopted even more. Um I think I've seen a recent I don't think it's even recent, I think it's been around about a year or so now. Uh Grafana uh monitoring. So setting up um dash dashboards and uh, monitoring through uh, code through that as well, so it's becoming because Terraform is designed to be multi-multi uh, vendor based. Yeah, what in comparison to uh, Bicep at the moment um, and um, other like ARM templates, um, it's becoming more. Do- it's being adopted more by the community, and I keep on seeing you got uh, on HashiCorp Terraform you have uh, the mar- well, I think they call it the marketplace. I'm calling it. Well, the providers marketplace and you have uh the ones that they provide uh, um, providers for you have um, verified providers um, which are used like microsoft and amazon and then you have community providers where people in the community have used the language and i think it's go um, to then build their own providers to then talk to that software so it's ever growing and i keep on seeing loads of new um concepts of new tools so we had bicep that came out i think it's been worked on for uh, a couple of years but i think it officially was released this year we've ha- uh, we know of terraform um and uh, Pulumi. um i think one's called lollipop as well i call it lollipop it might be completely and utterly wrong um, but there's quite a few CICD tools and a lot of them are based differently based on how people work. So, um, Tulumi is multi language supported and Terraform just a few months ago, started supporting, I think it's Python as well. So you can now do Teleform, uh, coding language, uh, use, uh, HCL language, um, uh, as one option, and you can use Python as the other option to code. So it's pretty interesting uh, how it's adapted over time, but literally it's ever it's ever growing. And I can't see I can only see it going much quicker in the next six to twelve months. I can see it being adopted more, I can see more content here, yeah, a bigger push, um, but yeah i can't see it going backwards and i can't see it just staying as it is as it is now so i
1: i completely agree Uh, that's that's another interesting point actually um is i don't know if anybody else feels you know the the same way as i do but keeping um, up with the rate of change um in in you know (laughs) in the cloud industry is, is is a challenge in itself but you know even looking at certain tool sets and, you know, some of the infrastructure's code, you know, conventions, tools, um, products that are out there. It, it changes so rapidly and that, that kind of pace of development just really shows, you know, how, how many people have taken to it and, and you know, there probably is a, a, a really good future in it.
2: Yeah, I would say, yes, that uh, infrastructure code is evolving and more people want to use it. Uh, But it's part of the modernization of uh, our application, the modernization of data centers. Uh, It comes with configuration as code, it comes also with uh, PACE services uh, and observabilities, uh, all the tools you mentioned, for example, Grafana, but other tools. And more and more teams are adopting this uh, philosophy and to deploy their application, and the application uh, is not only the code and the, the um, executables they have, it's the entire solution with the infrastructures, with the clued objects uh, and the application. And that's why we will have uh, more and more uh, tools for, um, for infrastructure as code. Uh, that's why, for example, Microsoft is working on the modernization of ARM templates with biceps, but also with template specs. Uh, and we will see uh, soon new tools, for example, uh, just started to learn tool. I'm not sure to pronounce the, the, tool, the tool names correctly, but you can embed your configuration as code and your infrastructure as code, as uh, as uh, um, in part of the development, because you can write your uh, infrastructure code in .NET or in Python, uh, and it's very very powerful for teams because they do not need to understand your languages, Terraform or ARM. They just need to use their own languages to deploy the solution in Azure or in uh, AWS, for example.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, and if, uh, how many, like you say, how many, like I've mentioned, you mentioned multi-language support. And like Jake said, yeah, literally it's ever growing, and trying to catch up and uh, keep up with everything as well. And the only, uh, with terraform introducing another language it, it gave me a little bit of a fault uh, and in some ways will worry if you start introducing more languages into um a specific tool set rather well, than just the one um does that open up um uh risk to people uh or team i should say teams you're working with multiple languages and then having when you're looking at recruitment or or um, keep uh, your own self paced learning, you have to probably learn multiple languages to be able to read what other people are writing. So, if, for example, like Terraform, yeah, hashcore uh, configuration language. I think that's what HDL stands for exactly. But literally, that's quite simple to read, nice and easy. Off you go. Python, if you don't have but I would say basic coding language in regards to Python. Um, could you look at that and understand it and write or amend it? Um, honestly, I don't know, um, because that's not come to my to me personally to then go, okay, yeah, um, I can't look at that. I can't read that. It, you know, I can read Python um, and write uh, Python configurations in Terraform. It's... Are we, I, are these providers trying to cater to too many people now? Um, that's another question to you guys. Do you think multiple languages in a tool could cause more problems than uh, actually fix anything?
1: I think it's, it, it kind of having having choice is um, is good because it you know then these tool sets will will appeal to to more potential users um, and it gives you know people from different sort of skill backgrounds can can use the tools Um, I think for me it's um, you kind of you've you know exactly hit on the point there around one of the reasons I really like Terraform and the um, HashiCorp configuration um, language is is because I can look at it and okay I'm not saying you know if there's a huge uh, file with you know line after line of code I'll know everything that's going on but I can get a good idea of it Um, and, and you know once you get comfortable using it you can do that quite quickly and for me that's that's another great reason it's it's it just it feels comfortable in in the same sense to be fair as well you know bicep does biceps made you know that much more accessible much more easy to read um you know and and, and the way that's that's developing is is really quite exciting as well
2: Uh, the 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 main question i think is how to onboard most people uh, there is people who do not want to learn a new language. Let's say they work on .NET. They want to work only on .NET. They do not have time to learn, uh, Terraform, Iron Template, or Biceps. They can, if they can do the deployment directly in the language they know, it's good. Uh, we may have some other solutions. Uh, we may have some other, um, uh, infrastructure as code tools, but the more you have, uh, the larger the public you will have. And it's good uh, because uh, infrastructure as code, as we say, uh, is the future. And we can imagine, for example, having a tool or language that will uh, use uh, infrastructure as code, but will Uh, with uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence to create your solution. So, yes, we have, uh, in the future, we will have more and more uh, tools. We will have maybe more and more languages. Uh, I think that, uh, I think more tools is not a danger or not something. It just helps to have more and more people working Uh, in a good way in the cloud. Yeah,
0: definitely, I can see the viewpoint on that. Um, Yeah, definitely. Uh, Olivia, have you got anything to bring to the table?
2: Uh, Yes, I would want to share something because uh, in my current job uh, and my current task, uh, sometimes I have to share uh, templates but it will be the same with um, Terraform or any other solution. I want my team to be responsible for for what they are doing in Azure. Uh, But at the same time, I want them to do specific things. If I want them to, for example, create a DNS resolver, I want them to deploy it in, uh, in some way, if I want them to create um, backup solution, uh, I need them to follow the standard of the company. So I can I share my templates with uh, all my teams. Uh, it's something that is uh, really difficult because uh, you have several options. You can open a repository on your. Um, Git environment and your team can uh, download the templates. But as we say, uh, not all the team are on the same level and it can be difficult for them to, um, to deploy them. And by the way, how do you manage the versioning of this template is very difficult. And this is why Microsoft uh, created the template spec. Template spec allow you to have uh, a sharing space in Azure where you can uh, download uh, your templates, uh, you can uh, put some versioning inside, and also you can use uh, AirBake to uh, allow or not user to use it. So people now with template spec can uh, deploy a standardized solution from Azure, directly is an own template. And it makes me it make things uh, more easier for everyone. Uh, for the customers, it's simple. You just have to read the documentation, uh, create a link to the template specs. It's just um, the ID of the templates and the version. So it's simple for you, for, of that this template is very simple too. You are working on that, this uh, either with uh, the Python or manually, and it makes things really, really simple.
0: That's interesting. So, um, the templating function in Terraform is modules. So, I create modules where I can so that they are reusable. Um, When I update modules, I usually have a comment area in my module uh, where I just amend the versioning number. Um, Don't know if that's the right way to do it. So what will happen is I don't replace the file with a new file. It's just in place replacement with a new version number. Uh, It means that if there's something wrong with that particular module, uh, once it's, available to everybody and they try anything wrong with it we can roll back on the repo to a older version of that file with the, 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 the specific version number in the line of code so that could be right I could be doing it wrong it could be uh, that it's not wrong but there could be a better way of doing it um, I do agree with what you say as well in regards to an actual library function um Obviously, ARM templates have that in Azure. And something that is missing in Terraform, I don't know about the Terraform Cloud version. I'm thinking there might be something now. And I think that's something, yeah, that obviously, if you pay and are a commercial user, you might have access to it, um, that function. But with the open source version, I don't think there's any other way. Then doing it via repo. And um, I think that's the, the best that I, well, it's the only way and the only, be, uh, uh, and it's the best way to do it um, from my knowledge. Um, I have looked at other options. I think, I think, what did I do initially before I did uh, a repo? I used to share the files in a SharePoint in Microsoft, the worst idea ever, but it was. Um, the idea was, yeah, that it was a shared library, not to be used as a location to the deployments, or think, yeah, or anything, uh, anything other than that. But um, it was an idea that you take your template from there and then rewrite your code. But we, we learned from that that is, that was a really bad way of doing it. So using repos was the only way and the best way to do it. I don't know what your thoughts are, Jake, on that.
1: Yeah, I I would definitely say the um, certainly if it's if it's Terraform, I probably would just go down the the repo route. Um, the the template specs um, in Azure is a really interesting one as well, um, and I think it's it's one of these where you know you could probably approach the problem with ten different solutions and probably have ten successful outcomes. But it's again, it's kind of measuring what works, perhaps what tooling you're already using, what you're comfortable with. Um, and just sort of going from there, really. Um, I think I would probably be in the, um, you know, use use existing repos um, and use that to sort of do the version control um, and, and go from there, really.
0: Would you say, like, would you version, how would, how do you version control like your modules, for example, Jake? Um, do you actually like keep the existing file and just, um, like I do, comment what version it is, or do you actually? Make a copy of the file, version that new copy, and just keep the old one as historic in the repo. Uh,
1: I go for the the latter, so I prefer to have um, like a history, a traceable history of of the modules, purely because I am risk averse, and <laughs> you know I'm I'm trying to make it as smooth as possible. I guess the the problem with that is if I've got to remember, um, you know, to update any existing code to point at the right modules or whatever it may be you know that there's obviously a you know an element of potential human error there um but certainly if you're sort of wanting to test something and and move you know forward and back um, that that would be the approach i'd go for that being said you know once you've finished with with something um perhaps you're going to make a copy of of that for another deployment or, or move it elsewhere perhaps you don't need to take all that historical information with you you know you can just keep the current ones if you know they deploy successfully um, just so it's a little bit cleaner but sometimes being able to you know go back and and check how things were done previously um, is a useful point of reference as well if you've you know you might have updated a module for a new convention or a new way of working and actually having a piece of referenceable code that you could go back to for um, you know, for any need you have to, to recheck something, redesign something, or see how you, you know, you previously solved a problem, that can prove useful as well.
2: Sorry, uh, I will add also something because um, if you look at uh, the de- development of Azure b uh, you see that now it's in uh, production grade. Uh, version, so you can use it uh, for your production environment, and it means that uh, you can have uh, uh, Azure support in case of any problems, but uh, I should try to share the link uh, about the, uh, what's coming with Azure Business, because there is a lot of new things that are currently in- Developments, and we will see in the next weeks and next months uh, new tools around Azure Biceps, and uh, it will be very, very big. I will try to to share um, the video on YouTube about uh, about that. I will try to share it in uh, in the uh, in the chat if I can.
0: Yeah, so I'm will keep an eye out for that because that sounds interesting because yeah, like you say, Bicep has a lot of uh, new features coming out and uh, initially it was uh, thought that Bicep would be like a life for life comparison to Terraform, but actually Bicep is coming out with a lot of new ways of doing uh, deployments and running code for infrastructure and a lot of the Struggles we do have with regards to Terraform. It seems that Microsoft's for when developing Bicep. So it, it, it is exciting times, but it's one of those another uh, considerations we have to look at in the future. Um, is um, like we said, there's multiple infrastructure as code tools coming out, and one, hopefully once, like for example, Bicep comes out with some of these new features the likes of HashiCorp will look at Bicep and go, okay, what we'll do is we'll we'll copy what Microsoft did with it and then start incorporating it in our tool. Um, That's what I hope. I I hope there is a bit of copycatting going on uh, that will develop uh, because if I see a feature in Bicep and I go to myself, oh, I really want that feature, um, HashiCorp Teleform doesn't have it. Do I actually look at moving myself over to a new tool? And I don't like that idea. Um, it's bringing back to the days of uh, software vendors. It's sort of listed software vendors. i I'll, I'll use uh, I like using Adobe, but I'll end up using another uh, video editing tool because it's got more features. And then once I go to that one a year later, that's behind, and I'll want to go to another software um, uh, provider. So I hope that these uh, uh, big organizations. What, copy each other I know it's a bad, a bad way of thinking it, but literally if they can learn from each other and copy the, the great good features that are there, hopefully we should be able to stick with a specific provider that we feel comfortable in. Um, but yeah, Bicep are coming out with, uh, I, I think I saw a, li- a list yesterday and it, it was coming out with a lot of good
1: features. And having that, um, commonality, between different tool sets is really good as well because if you're let's say for example you know um, a number of different people have um, you know one person wants to work in terraform somebody else wants to work in bicep somebody else wants to use another tool then having um, you know having the ability to do the same things in different tools is, is just going to mean more people can can use a platform is you know it, it it acts as an enabler um, you know, more people comfortable with different tool sets can consume the same platform. I, it can only be a good thing having commonality between the tools, and you know, allowing different different methods of, of usage and integration.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so I think we're going to wrap up. I don't know if uh, Jake or Olivia have anything else uh, to say.
1: Nothing from me, no, just thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Oh, thank you, yes. Brilliant. Thank you for coming on and talking infrastructure infrastructure's code days. Actually, my favorite topic to discuss yeah, when we talk about the cloud. So um, thank you for coming on. And thank you all for listening. Um, our next episode will be arranged at a later date and will be shared on Twitter on AZ Roundtable. Table. Um Have a good evening. Speak to you soon.
2: Bye-bye. Cheers.